Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 24 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I'm so glad that you're here, and I really hope this time together this week helps you lead like never before. I'm so excited because my guest today for episode 24 is David Kinneman, and David is a brilliant leader. You're going to figure that out very early into the podcast. He's got his finger on the pulse of not only the church, but culture, like I think very few other people do. He just sees the future before it happens, and that's one of the reasons I love hanging out with him. And he is president of the Barna Group, the majority owner of that. They do extensive research on trends and what's happening in the church, what's happening in culture. So he is chock full of insights. But one of the other reasons I really, really love David is he's just a great guy. Uh, We became friends four or five years ago. I've actually stayed at his house. He has an amazing family. And, uh, cool thing. He lives in an urban setting in California, but he's got chickens in his backyard. Like, you got to be cool if you have chickens in your backyard, right? Anyway, so um, Dave is just, just, just a fantastic person. If you've ever met him, you know what I'm talking about. And he really cares passionately about the church. So I think it's a, it's a great marriage of uh, leadership, insight, and heart for the church. And like you, I'm just trying to figure out Um, how to lead a church. That's what I do full-time. And one of the subjects that's come up over and over again recently is just the issue of why people are attending church less. Last week, I interviewed Will Mancini on episode 23, and we talked about why committed Christians are attending church less often. So today, it's kind of like part two, I guess you could say. Episodes 23 and 24 kind of run together. And so David and I are going to talk about that and also why increasingly fewer and fewer young adults are attending church, which is just a trend we're seeing everywhere, both the unchurched and and those who used to attend church but aren't attending church. And David's got some great insights into that. And because this subject is so close to my heart and because it's showing up so often in leadership these days, I've even done a little series on the blog, my blog, about this. And you can just go over to kerrynewhoff.com and access that series. Um, and we are talking about why people are are attending church less often and what to do about it. So the post that kicks off this series, just in case you're not listening to this around the time it's released, you can find it by just searching this. 10 reasons even committed church attenders are attending church less often. That's the springboard into all the uh, posts that I've written about this. And if you're like, okay, I'm not sure I can find that or remember that, just everything can be found for this week's episode at kerrynewhoff.com slash episode 24, because that's where you're going to find this interview on the blog. That's C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F, easier to say than it is to spell, (laughs) slash episode 24. So I'm not going to spend a lot more time on this because I'm just so excited to jump into the interview, but um, I think this is going to help us figure out what to do as church leaders. And no, it's not an era where there's really super easy answers, but but that's okay. I find in an era like that, it's just really important to have the right voices around the table. And David definitely is one of those voices. So here is my interview with David Kinneman. I'm so excited to have David Kinneman here. I uh, had always hoped from the time I started this podcast that you would be able to come on, and it took a little while to get the schedule all worked out, but David, so thrilled this moment's come. Welcome. It's my pleasure, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, I think... I, tr- I tried to avoid you as long as possible. That's well, the truth. You it, but... did a pretty good job. No, <laughs> <You're> Dave... <laughs> You're so persistent. (laughs) So persistent. Uh, David's been a friend for a few years. And uh, also, I think if anybody's got his finger on the pulse of the church, it's probably you, David. I mean, research is kind of what you do. Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got into it. Uh, Well, I'm uh, president of Barna Group. And uh, as many of you know, it's a research and uh, sort of information and knowledge company. Um, I actually started, I figured I'd be a pastor, a local pastor. My dad's a lifelong Mm -hmm. pastor of a church in Phoenix, and uh, read one of George Barna's books uh, back in uh, college uh, at Biola University and um, thought this would be a really cool sort of thing, just sort of as a side, actually. I didn't expect to stick around uh, now two, for two decades. I've been here for 20 years. Um, uh, in about two weeks is my 20th anniversary of Barna. Hey, congrats. Um, thanks. Yeah. It's, I'm uh, doing it's... 20 years in this area with these people in April. So that's cool. That is really cool. Yeah, but I'm older four... than you, so there you go. <laughs> February 14th. 
uh, is my two year anniversary here. So a 20 year anniversary. Um, so, uh, you know, what we do is we're spending a lot of time, you know, doing research on various religious trends. Um, we work, you know, a big portion of our work is actually is very uh, proprietary to the organizations that we're working for. So we're working for um, lots of different nonprofit organizations, a lot of, you know, national ministries. We do some research for local churches. Um, we've done some work for, you know, some of the entertainment studios here in Los Angeles area, looking at faith as a consumer, sort of like, how do we get people of faith to come see films? Uh, we've done work for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, looking at pub, ad, attitudes towards public education. So we've, we're always learning new things. I feel like it's quite a privilege uh, to be able to, to look at the data and, and learn new things about how, how the world works, how people are thinking these days. Well, that's one of the reasons I always enjoy our conversations is because I love the future. I love talking about what's going to happen, not just what has happened. And I always think you've got incredible insights. And if you haven't read David's books, they are uh, absolutely worth reading. You wrote Unchristian with Gabe Lyons a few years ago, and then more recently, You Lost Me. And today I want to focus in on something that you and George Barna worked together on and released a few months ago called Churchless. Great title, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's my mm. friend Bill. My friend Bill Denzel came up with that one. Well, he did a good job. That's really, really good. So you are plotting in that book. It's a lot of research. It's basically data with meaning um, about some major, major shifts in U.S. culture. And, and I said to you before we started taping, for the first time, I really feel like there's a book written in the United States that sounds like my country, Canada. Mm. And I know we've got European and Australian listeners and New Zealand listeners, and they can probably relate to the fact that we're probably a little bit ahead of the post-Christian curve, as can mm. people in New England or Seattle all the West Coast, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, things are really shifting in America. Things are really shifting in the West. And um, you talk about the rise of a churchless culture. Um, tell us about that, some of the big findings in the book, and uh, what are some of the key factors that are making a whole generation, a new generation of people churchless? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I'll, I'll admit that the whole notion of a title is, uh, and and the way we try to position research is to to have an editorial point of view, and and sure. so while we're talking about a churchless America, and we'll talk a, a lot about those trends, I think it's really important to remember that America really is a very churched country and continues to have you know tens of millions of people who are churched, um, and and we actually see this in some uh, some of our research around the world. Um, you know, we we did some work in Scotland recently. Um, work we've done in Canada uh, in, the, in the not so distant past, uh, where there still is a, a great deal of sort of Christian heritage in a lot of our uh, you know countries of right. the West. But what is so interesting and I think so remarkable, particularly for those leaders in North America and and especially in the United States, is that that uh, there is a new sensibility, a new churchless sensibility. Um, you know, the, the Pew Research Center they call it the rise of the nuns, the religiously unaffiliated. Um, we, we sort of labeled it churchless. Um, but, but what's so interesting is that, you know, two decades ago, uh, about only one in every eight people had never been to church, uh, in, in America, they'd never had, had any kind of period of regular church attendance. So we had a very small percentage of people in the United States who had a very sort of, um, uh, absent sort of experience. They had just mm -hmm. had no muscle memory for that. And that's, that's doubled in the last, uh, two, uh, 20 years to, wow. to the place of, uh, one, in, uh, one in every four. And so that's the yeah. kind of thing that really signals a big shift, right? So, You've got now a huge chunk of people, one in every four Americans, who have absolutely no muscle memory of what it means to be a regular churchgoer, being a part of a Christian community, um, and that's a huge opportunity. It's mm -hmm. not just like you know, ring the bell. It's a bad, a bad news, uh, yeah. Barna, uh, but it's a huge <laughs> opportunity for us uh, to to be able to you know speak truth and represent the gospel into this new context. Right. And and so I think that's really important to see that as an opportunity, but that obviously creates some challenges. I mean, being a North Point strategic partner, our church, Connexus, is like, we want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. But yeah. when you actually run into unchurched people who really don't have, I love your phrase, have any muscle memory about Christianity, it's a very different thing than reacquainting people with a faith they once had walked away from and lost, isn't it? It totally is. Um, I mean, we were doing a, a focus group of various uh, church facilities 
Um, and so we had a lot of young Christians. We we're doing it with millennials, uh, to, yeah. you know, or young adults. And um, and one of the non-Christian uh, sort of you know churchless people that we had in, in one of those focus groups, um, you know, was going through one of these facilities. We we're looking really at architecture and some other things. And you know, they asked our facilitator. They said, "Would I have to pay to attend here? You know, do, do I, is this like a movie? Is there like a theater charge? You know, is there a ticket? <laughs> you know, entrance fee kind of thing, a cover charge? Right? It was like, right, uh, right. you know, that's the muscle memory we're talking about, right? Like they don't even have the first clue. No, we want you to come. We're, we're, this is, you know, a free thing for you. And, um, so, and I, I, and this is a very interesting and sort of, I thought kind of telling, uh, comment because so much of what we have created is a little bit of a sort of movie theater sort of experience, you know, you, you or li- a live theater kind of experience where, you know, like you do wonder if there's sort of some exchange of value that, mm-hmm. you know, you're supposed to make uh, when you come in. Yeah, it's interesting. One of a guy who's become one of my best friends, totally unchurched over a decade ago, when he first heard there were two testaments, he's like, what? Like, there's two testaments, old and new? Was the old one not good enough? Like, what happened? Like, he just didn't know. He'd, he'd never yeah. read the Bible, right. a brand new paradigm. But it, but it's a lot more complex than that. So get it, drilling into the numbers, David, you identified 38% of the American population as post-Christian and um, mosaics or millenniums or millennials, I should say, check in at about 48% post-Christian. So that's almost half the population under what, 30? That's right. Is yeah. post-Christian. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, what I like about the post-Christian metric, what we did was we, um, rather than simply do you attend church. So when we talk about the yeah. church list, we talk really about a single metric or kind of a handful of questions. And I think this is a really fun thing to talk about in a context like this. You know, how do we derive the data that we come to? Sure. And 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 so when we talk about churchless, we're really talking about people who haven't been to church in the last six months, um, not including weddings or funerals. So there's special events, obviously, that might get you into a church, but really aren't church-oriented worship services. Um, you know, you're there for your friends, or you're there for uh, to honor honor the dead, or honor you know newlyweds, yeah. but you're not you're not there for uh, anything else. Um, so being churchless is simply not having been to church, and there is this increasing number of people who are are churchless. Um, and then when we ask them other questions about have you ever been churched, there is an increasing number of people who've, who've never been churched. Well, the post-Christian metric is a combination of 15 different questions that we ask okay. uh, across a lot of our national polling, including did you pray? Did you attend church? Did you attend Sunday school? Do you believe that the Bible is accurate um, and, and has meaning for your life? Um, you know, do you Have you ever made a commitment to Jesus Christ that's still important in your life? So it's a whole host of metrics that we use. Um, it's sort of the uh, the best of Barna, you know, 15 different things that would measure whether someone has any kind of connectedness to Christianity or Christian orthodoxy, whether Christian practice or Christian belief. And so the post-Christian metric, um, you know, for the, the, the millennials to be at roughly half our, our post-Christian, it tells us that on those sort of, if you think of it like a Geiger counter, right? And there's sure. sort of like, there's like safe zone and like, you know, unsafe zone and, you know, over here, like, you know, super Christians. Um, you've got a lot of people uh, with the millennial generation who are just, you know, it's it's now the defining experience of this generation where they really just don't have uh, the same sort of experience uh, with Christianity. And that's our most sophisticated uh, metric because it really does take into account a variety of things that that would count. Mm-hmm. So post-Christian really means they honestly don't have an orientation around the Christian faith, period. At, around anything we can seem to measure, right? So it's like, wow. uh, you know, cause, because you, you could say a person, uh, and this is one of the super interesting pieces of it, that, you know, a person could be very religiously active, but not be very orthodox in their mm-hmm. beliefs. Uh, a person could be very orthodox in their beliefs, but not very active uh, in, in practice, um, and so when we talk about being post-Christian, there really isn't many fibers of, of Christian practice or belief that are present in the lives of these, um, of these young people. Which makes it really challenging. I mean, again, you know, you're celebrating two decades in leadership, me too. And even if you're a decade in leadership, it was a different ballgame when you started. Because now, if you want to reach people under 30, like basically what you're saying is half of them really don't have any orientation toward what you want to introduce them to. Yeah. And I think what makes it a particularly dangerous carry is that, you know, there's still a really good chunk of very, very committed, faithful, 
uh, Christians who are aren't post Christian who are who are very committed. In fact, a lot of our research here in North America is showing that young millennials who are staying committed to evangelical Christianity are even more committed to biblical orthodoxy. Now, there are fewer of them mm-hmm. than there are among the boomer evangelicals, but among those who are staying committed, uh, they're very, very committed to, uh, you, you know, thinking theologically and, and, and orthodoxy. And, and you know, they're, they're, there's a sort of a, their light is shining brighter in the midst of a generation of their generation who's even less, less committed to Christianity. Um, so what I think is t- tough is that a lot of us as leaders, we see young people in our in our church communities who seem to embody, you know, the very best. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, you know, I constantly remind church leaders just because you know we we have uh, a, a tribe of very loyal you know, uh, faithful, uh, followers of Christ doesn't mean that that defines the generation. In fact, all right. the best metrics that we can, sh- we can see are suggesting that that, that group of post-Christian young adults is growing. So in a sense, your anecdotal evidence then, Hey, I know eight 25 year olds who love Jesus and think theologically and pray every day and invite their friends. Uh, that's, that's not actually reflective of the cultural trends as a whole. That's right. Right. Okay. Exactly. And then you have to do the, the hard work, I think, of discerning what are the things that are consistent across a generation. Of course, each individual is different. So sometimes sure. even t- talking about generational patterns feels uh, anathema. It's right. You know, the, the gospel mm. is for each soul and each individual has to make a unique a unique response as opposed to, you know, generationally, what are we seeing? Um, but I, I But I do believe that, you know, one of the consistent threads, for instance, is that young people are interested in things that um, that last and things that are a deeper answer to the, the questions that they're asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not looking for pat, simple, and in some cases, the apologetics that we've used where it's, where it's sort of formulaic. They're not looking for that. They're looking for, you know, the phrase we sometimes use is that they're more willing to be challenged than we are willing to challenge them. And this is okay. true among young Christians and among young non-Christians. There, there is a sense in which they're they're waiting for us to make a hard ask, uh, but but sometimes we're not necessarily willing to do that because they might they might not they might not stick around. They might be willing to to trade our relationship for something else. Okay, let me just pick up on that a little bit. So you know, you compared uh, mosaic or millennial Christianity and the faith that uh, they have in that generation to boomer Christianity, which might be uh, a little less serious. I don't want to say I don't want to say all boomers are not serious about their faith, but what you're discovering is that those who have stuck are perhaps more orthodox, more evangelical, more serious about their faith than you what you would statistically find in older generations. Um, But you also said something really interesting, which is they want to be challenged, but also so do the post-Christian people, that if you're going to invite them into the Christian faith, you're probably not going to do it by watering down the gospel. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that uh, they're actually looking in sort of a sea of uncertainty for something to believe in and for something that makes sense and for people that are uh, you, you know, willing to, to, you know, to use a biblical phrase to count the cost. Right. Um, now it's interesting because I think it cuts both ways in that one of the interesting things we've been studying, uh, is, is sort of the role of humor with the generation and how is it that we now, um, minister in an age of, you know, sort of Jimmy Kimmel and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, sort of yeah, the, the, Jimmy the, Fallon, the, yeah. Jimmy Fallon, the sort of funny and also snarky side of humor. And so how do you, how do you have an earnest conversation, for instance, uh, about, about life and the hereafter and sexuality and all the rest when a generation has been conditioned to, you know, laugh at all of this. And, yeah. and I, again, I think that in a, in a great church, you can use humor, um, in a great, you know, faith, faithful context, we ought to be people that laugh at ourselves and don't take ourselves seriously. Um, I mean, what better example of that is the prayer, you know, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? Like we, we, we are so desperate in need to laugh at ourselves and to, and to plead for God's, uh, you, you know, forgiveness and daily mercies in our lives. Um, and so that's an example, I think of, of, of trying to use, you know, how do we, um, think about um, the, the notion of what a generation finds funny when so often that humor is used at a point when there might be something poignant or something important for us to discover about ourselves. 
And in a, in the culture, we use humor sort of just to gloss over like, okay, well that was just funny. We just, we just, let's just make fun of it. Um, whereas in the church, sometimes we get so serious about it or we're, we're so like, well, you, you know, let's just really dig into that. And we don't laugh at ourselves often mm-hmm. enough. And so consequently a generation is like, well, I'm out of here. This is just way too heavy. Oh, yeah. So humor can be an effective tool then or device. And and I mean, we always know, I, I learned this years ago, like if you're going to deal with a difficult issue, if you're going to talk about money, if you're going to talk about sex, it really, really helps to get people laughing first. Because yeah. if they're laughing, their defenses are down, they're open, and, and it just tends to go better than people being uptight when they hear the message. But that's true generationally, too. It is. And that's hmm. part of what we're seeing is that the kind of humor that millennials will respond to is different than, you know, a boomer or elder audience. And so what are the differences? Like, tell us about that. What's, I'm just curious about that. Well, I think they're, they're more accustomed to this sort of, uh, reality television sort of show, uh, you know, uh, experience. They're more snarky, willing to laugh at others in some, in Mm -hmm. some fashions. Um, you know, and I, I, listen, I'm a huge uh, advocate for millennials. I think a lot of church leaders really misunderstand them. Yeah. And at the same time, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, a lot of times they can be, um, they, they're just as frustrating as any other group of people. And, you know, they, they think of themselves as, you know, we, we've, we've in some fashion, I think in the church made, um, made millennials a bit of an idol. So we, we, you know, we sort of think about how can we serve you, the, the next generation, and in fact, you know, that, that is, uh, uh, not a, not a biblical response to making an idol out of any particular age segment. Hmm. In fact, that's what the world does is to you know try to appeal to younger consumers, uh, unless you're marketing hearing aids, uh, <laughs> most, most brands are interested in younger consumers. And we in the church sometimes do the same kind of thing where it's like, well, all right, we're going to try to find a way to appeal to you by using the kind of humor that appeals to you. Um, and so for me as a researcher, I'm, I'm very motivated around not just finding these sort of marketing hooks or ways right. of being clever, but saying, all right, well, what if there is a different sensibility? I, I think it is harder. Um, you know, an example of this was, um, it's just a funny little personal story, but you know, my, someone sent me a photo of something I had done or whatever, and it came in the mail and, uh, my, my, my oldest daughter opened it. And, uh, and she and my wife just started laughing as me holding like some award or whatever, you know? And, and, uh, and I was like, well, what are you guys laughing at? And it was like, and they both looked at each other and it was like, we don't know. And, you know, it was like, it just seemed like the thing to do. Right. So, um, you know, I think finding, finding ways to, uh, make light of ourselves and then also to be, you know, to say like, not everything is funny all the time. Well, I think, I think that's a good point. And do you find self-deprecating humor is really helpful? And, um, that, that sort of, we hear this a lot, like authenticity, like Mm. people are just looking for you to be real and not put yourself up on some pedestal or have it all figured out. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but even the notion of self-deprecating humor, right? Like can often be, uh, and, and this is what's so interesting about millennials. They're very, very intuitive around, um, people and how they act and, and, um, you know, they've been marketed to, to death. And Mm -hmm. even in our industry, they've been survey researched to death. Um, and, and so they're, they're just, they're very jaded. They're very skeptical. Um, you know, as we were doing interviews with uh, young people about their experiences related to church, and we asked them about youth pastors, a lot, you know, we're, we're starting to see in our research more often where people will say youth pastors are paid to be our friends. (laughs) So, you know, that, that's just, that's just their job description. Sure. I I like him, but that's just, that's just, what do you expect of a guy who likes his, that's his job is to be friends Mm -hmm. with, with students. And so that's, I think an example of the kind of thing that, you know, is, is, is coming up very frequently, um, uh, you know, where they're, they're, they're just sort of skeptical. They just, they know the game and they, they can sort of see like if, if the self-deprecating humor is your tool, they see it as your tool. They start to get really clear that, well, he's still pretty mm-hmm. prideful, but he just has learned to get a good laugh right. out of, out of a, you know, a, a little joke about himself. Or that's a good authenticity thing you're trying there, Carrie. Way to go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. And again, yeah. Go ahead, David. I, I was just going to say, you know, like, and, and by a lot of the measures, uh, you know, millennials think they want authenticity, but they themselves aren't always that authentic, hmm. you know? And so it's a very interesting world in which, um, you know, d- despite some of the really positive things we could say about millennials, uh, they bring their own sets of brokenness to the table for sure. Hmm. 
That's a great point. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about the post-Christian demographics. So at the same time, 38% of the American population, just a quick check, that's a national figure, right? That's not just Correct. California? Okay. No, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, got those, you. Those are the 10 people I interviewed on my street. Right. So. Okay, good. good. I, I do that kind of research, David, so if you ever need to recruit me. Um, yeah, so that's a national sampling, which is pretty dramatic. I'm sure there's going to be regional variations, but 38% right. of the whole population, 48% of Mosaic or Millennial Christians are, um, I, or people are identified as post-Christian. But you also say that one in four unchurched adults are skeptics or atheists. So basically, that kind of means three quarters are not. So they're churchless, but they're spiritual? Is that what's going on? Yeah, there's a whole range of people who are churchless, and this gets to some of the things we've Mm -hmm. been talking about, that it sort of depends on where you focus the microscope. Um, And so if you talk about a person's presence in church, among the churchless people who aren't in yeah. church in a typical yeah. six-month period, um, uh, one in four of those individuals say they're skeptical. They're, they're skeptics or agnostics, so they're they're atheists. Sure. Uh, the other three quarters of all churchless people believe there is a God. They believe mm-hmm. that um, they they may consider themselves to be Christian. And in fact, a good chunk of these individuals—I forget the percentage offhand—but they're born again Christians. They say they're committed to Christ. They they believe. If you had to put you know a test in front of them and ask them to you know uh, describe things about their faith, they would mark almost all the orthodox questions. So what's super interesting is you can't tell a lot. I mean, the, the, the famous phrase, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge a person by their presence or lack of presence uh, in a local church in terms of, of kind of the, 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 the clarity of their belief and what it is that they, they stand for in the world. So the church list includes then the de-churched, people who used to attend church and drop out, and maybe they have an authentic Christian faith, but there's probably also a growing number of people who are spiritual, or maybe even Christ followers, who just like, I don't need the church. That's what you're discovering? Exactly. And the primary group of people who are churchless are people that are spiritual nomads, people that grew up in some fashion as a Christian and are no longer, you know, very active in their faith. Hmm. Yeah, and you talk about them in You Lost Me, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Nomads. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. How do you begin to develop an approach or a strategy to reach people who don't go to church but who believe? Well, I think um, part of the reason we do this work is to, um, you know, we're, we're, we're the, the notion of a taxonomy or to think mm-hmm. about categories, uh, to think about different experiences. Uh, I mean, Jesus does this in in so much of his teaching. He talks about uh, the the parable of the sower, right? And he 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 provides a taxonomy of the soil. Um, there are different kinds of soil, different kinds of experiences in which seed might grow or not not flourish. And so, I think that uh, your question is a really good one. I don't have a real good answer to it, mm-hmm. um, um, but I think that it represents the kind of ta- taxonomy and segmentation oriented questions are technical terms, but they really reflect this notion that, you know, God has called us not to reach everyone at all times in any context the church. Yes, but not individually. My church. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and uh, certainly not us as leaders. Um, So, you know, the, the the more local you get in your ministry, you're talking about one individual. Mm -hmm. I'm not called to reach every person in North America. Of course, Um, my local church uh, reality is not called to, to reach, reach everyone in North America, much less even everyone in, in Ventura. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet the church broadly is, of course, called to reach everyone in North America and, and beyond. And um, so I feel, um, I, I feel like this taxonomy, this segmentation, to begin to think about who it is we're communicating with. And at the same time, there's all these tensions that we have to balance in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, we're not I think we, we we ought to be very clear about who God has called us to to reach and communicate uh, with, and at the same time we ought to be very careful not to simply have a target market okay. uh, where we sort of say, all right, well I'm called to you know this group and I have I don't deal with these. Um, I think that sometimes in in the, the church leaders that we interview we find that you know they they tend to target demographics that are convenient for their churches to reach uh, you know young married families are much easier to reach um than our single urban young adults uh, who are unmarried um mm-hmm. and so um being being you know able to to 
sort of find the the, the right rhythm uh, in our calling is a very very important thing for us to do. Right. In some of the uh, post-Christian findings, the churchless findings, are you discovering that um, part of the disconnect between a person's faith, so let's say they would consider themselves spiritual, or maybe even by objective standards, Christian, but not churched, why is that? Is that like an anti-institutional thing, a, a suspicion about institutions, about authority? Um, or is it just, nah, I don't, I don't need that anymore? Oh, I think there's a million reasons. Among the mm-hmm. main reasons, people just say they're so, they're so busy. And, um, and I think that what has happened is that um, the, the life of being a part of a local church has become you know, it's ironic. We talked about the story earlier in our, in our uh, interview about the person who says, well, do you have to pay to come? You know, right. it, it feels like a theater kind of experience where, you know, you plop down your 10 bucks and you, um, you sit in the seat for an hour and a half and, you know, the entertainment happens and you go and you kind of have your, your, uh, your experience for the week. Um, and, and so, so people are very busy. They, they come to, to believe that church is just one extra thing uh, that can be sort of out, you know, sort of, they can save the, the, they can sleep in a little longer on, on a weekend and they can, you know, there's like, is it, how important is it to really go to church? Um, and, and by the way, this is a really interesting thing that we were noticing in our research on the churchless project was that a lot of very committed Christian families, um, are, 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 well, and, and others um, are, are less church than they typically were, let's say, two decades ago, mm-hmm. because they're so busy with children's sports and hiking and other kinds of activities. And so in the past, our culture defined regular church attendance as people who attended two or more times a week. Right. Um, and, and so you're a regular church attender for sure if you went every Sunday and probably you know once m- midweek. Uh, but now a regular church attender is someone they think of themselves as a regular church attender if they go at least once every six weeks. Mm-hmm. And so that's another factor, you know, that's taking people who are very committed to Christ- Christianity and, and, and to Christ, but they just, they don't end up showing up every week. They've got, they've got house projects and they want to sleep in or sporting events or, you know, their kids have a basketball or hockey game or whatever. Right. And it's like, well, it's just, it's a Sunday. It must be, um, you know, just any other day of the week for us to, uh, to take care of those activities. So the, the notion of Sabbath has really changed in our cultural experience. And that has an impact on the way people think about church going. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Will Mancini and I did an interview, and that's episode 23 of the podcast, where we talked about the fact that at the end of the day, people just don't attend church as often as they used to. And so it's not necessarily a hostility to church. It's not universal. It can be an indifference. Or what we're finding increasingly is people who actually like the church, they just don't go a lot. Yeah. Well, and I think this has a huge set of challenges for um, communicators, uh, among many other things, but among those of us who are trying to disciple through teaching, because part of what you're doing, uh, again, growing up in a pastor's home, my dad mm-hmm. is a great, great communicator, had a large church in the Phoenix area, um, and and would, would do these wonderful series, um, uh, often teaching through sections of, of scripture or books of the Bible, or sometimes topically. Um, and, um, and so, you know, what happens when people hear, you know, one of, or two of eight different topics, you know, you're trying to build and weave this sort of narrative and provide a biblical sure. worldview on which people can make decisions and they only get, you know, a, a small portion of it. And, 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 and that's as if, you know, even if they sat in the audience all eight weeks that they would have a biblical worldview, you know, like, like it's not just automatic because they're there, but you certainly have a harder time now if they're not there as often. So some of the things that we've seen some effective churches trying in that context are a few things. I mean, just to give it real practical feet here. Um, one thing we've seen is uh, churches doing um, a kind of an infographic sort of map. Um, so they'll basically almost like a, a puzzle top. They sort of say, here are the things that we're going to talk through. If it's an eight part series, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to this week we're covering, you know, the nature of God. This week we're covering the nature of the Trinity. This week we're covering this. And it's it's literally a picture of a, a map of those topics. Um, and then they provide people with with the tools to be able to come in and watch not just the full length podcast of that or, you know, like the all 40 minutes of, of all eight topics, but they'll actually give little three and five minute video uh, uh, examples of what that was. We, we're, we're beginning to 
you know, show people, all right, we, we know you're not going to catch the whole thing. We hope you do. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you can't, we want you at least to be able to try to catch up and see the sort of the, the journey that we've been asking you to take uh, on this series. Hmm. That's a, that's a really practical idea. It assumes you have the resources to be able to do that, but that, that is, I mean, and, and that's part of the debate, right? Do you cooperate with what's happening or do you compete with it? And if you compete with it, I think to some extent you're, you're bound to lose, but if you cooperate with it and you try to figure out, okay, you're not going to be here all eight weeks of the series, but how can we make this a great experience for you? And how can you grow in the midst of it? Uh, I think, I think that's a really good thing. Now, one of the other findings you had, David, is that there isn't a whole lot of a lifestyle difference between people who attend church and people who don't, who are churchless. Now, that could mean a couple of things. It could mean that the church has been completely secularized or that the culture has become Christianized even without regular church attendance. So like, what's up with that? Like, is that an indictment of the church? Has culture really become uh, filled with decent people? Like what's, what's going on? Well, I, I, the image that comes to mind is sort of this, uh, uh, the, an estuary of a, some sort of river and sort of the brackish water right between okay. uh, between the ocean and the freshwater uh, you know uh, coming off the continent and uh, I think I think it's some of both right I think mm -hmm. I think the culture has become increasingly secularized increasingly Christian it, it, the culture has, has largely been Christianized and then the, um, the, the, the the church has largely become secularized. And we could talk about issues of morality and whether, you know, people abstain from sex within the church more than within the culture. And there are areas where there are actual differences. And again, depending on how, and this is a classic debate among sociologists, but depending on how narrowly you define the church-going population. See, so if you say, well, anybody who is active, like if you go every week, twice a week and you believe all these things, then we, when, then we start to see some differences in people's behavior mm -hmm. for sure. But to me, that's always been, well, we're, we're sort of like just saying, all right, we're just going to make the, the screen so, uh, so tight for Christian belief and behavior that somehow, um, we're just, we're, we're removing anybody who might not fit our definition. See mm -hmm. a, a person who's a person who's married might struggle less with certain things than a person who's not married. And so if, if we've got a lot of people who tend to be married in the church, that's going to be just a different, it's going to be a different demographic segment. So the faith right. may or may not have been, um, you know, the transformational agent in that, in that equation, just be, we have more married people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, uh, you know, but, but be that as it may, this is one of those cl classic areas. There's a few areas in which the church is really, really struggling to represent that it, it is a, a tr transformational community of people. Um, it is, it is, it is to, to put it really succinctly, the church is struggling to make a witness to the world. And mm -hmm. among those reasons, um, homosexuality is certainly one of those questions about yep. how, how do we handle same-sex attraction? Are we just being uh, bigoted in our perspectives? Mm -hmm. um, another is the fact that the church doesn't seem to have uh, much difference in the way we live our lives or we think about our, our resources or the way we use our technology and whether we take digital Sabbaths, Sabbaths or whether we, we do anything differently. And so there are, I think, some very profound reasons that the culture looks at the church and says, you don't matter. You aren't, in fact, doing the kind of good in the world that you claim you want to do. Right. And when there's not a big contrast, right, that, that what are you calling people into other than a more committed relationship to Jesus? Like, where does the transformation come from? And a lot of churches, and I'm, I'm listening, I'm all for practical teaching, but at the end of the day, do you really need God to balance your books? Like, you can do that without God. You, yeah. you, can, you can be celibate with or without faith. And now I think, I think, you know, the Holy Spirit enables you to do things that you couldn't do on your own. But so where does that go? Like, do you need, what, what are some of our distinctives then? Or, or how do you even do evangelism in a culture where the culture says, look, we're basically decent moral people and you're decent moral people. And we just disagree about the whole question of God or, or I agree with you on God. I just don't need to hang out with you guys to agree with you. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, this is such a fascinating moment. And I think mm. in, in uh, the history of the North American church and the church in the West, where so many of the innovations of Christian community, if we're being really honest about it, and it's not a, a, a thing 
to brag about, but you know, public education mm. it, it was imagined through a Christian sort of worldview. Uh, you, you know, healthcare in some fashion, as we know. Oh, yeah. even, the even hospitals go- were all religious. Exactly. I mean, hundred years ago, it was Presbyterian yeah. hospital, Methodist hospital. You know, like yeah. all those Christian innovations transformed the culture. So, to me, part of the way we think about um, both the, ch- the challenges there is. Uh, unless you just like singing songs and listening to good good orators speak about the Bible, <laughs> the question becomes: What is the reason for us to be a part of a Christian community? And and we've been talking about all these things, and there's lots of other lot smarter people than me to, to have, who've been doing this. But but one of the interesting things for me, and one of the places of distinctive, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different dimensions. But one of the things that I'm very passionate about is this notion of vocational discipleship, okay. of connecting people's faith and helping them understand that to balance the books, the thing, the example you used a few minutes ago, is actually a question of our creative. Uh, mandate for order that if you're an accountant or you're a um, uh, you know a, a business person that that God gives human beings three big mandates uh, one for beauty and that's a, the job of a creative one for order which is the job of a science-minded sort of more kind of left brain kind of person uh, and then um, uh, and and the, and the last is abundance. Uh, you know, that's the job of a marketer and uh, an entrepreneur. And and so for me, um, if we could begin to say, listen, you, you, part of it is I think we're so busy in a lot of our churches telling and retelling sort of the same story. And I, I, this is in no way a criticism of pastors, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I think there's a, a sense in which we're so busy trying to be, um, you, you know, kind of remedial uh, to try to mm-hmm. help people who are kind of at the middle of the curve. And we, we so often sort of think about, well, I got to make sure everybody can get this. But what we're seeing, especially, especially in youth ministry, is that if you forget about the not just the more gifted and talented, but it turns out that everyone has a particular gifting and talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of what our job is, is to identify and nurture and cultivate. And so what we're, we're beginning to say with some of our work with millennials, um, with student ministry, youth ministry, and young adult ministry, is if the church could say, you know, you have a calling to be someone who creates abundance in the world. You can create profit. And that is a God-given talent because communities need abundance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you have a God-given talent for creativity, for beauty in the world. And so we want to cultivate that, not because you can just be make a lot of money and then, you know, come here once a week and just donate money into our, into our offering plate, but because that's a God-given, uh, you know, you need a God-oriented, Jesus-focused community to cultivate the right spirit of being a, a creative in the world. And then finally, somebody who's a, a science-minded or, you know, you're a medical doctor or you're a, an accountant or you're someone who brings order to the world, um, that, 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 is, that is a God-given uh, thing. And, and so as we begin to sort of expand the message of what it means to be Christian and how that gets lived out, that then means that you can, in whatever calling you have, abundance, order, or beauty, you can find what it means to be uh, a, a Christ follower within our church, um, in, 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 and to do that in a in a community where we pray together. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, a sinner. Uh, and so, you know, the heart of what it means to be uh, people called into these different sort of areas becomes an example of how the church actually does benefit people's people's own calling and their lives. Well, I think I think that's a fascinating concept, David. And really what it does, if I hear you correctly, is it's like synthesizing faith and life in a way that I, that I think is a little bit unique. And I think a lot of people instinctively think of your vocation, your day job, your work as atheological. It's like, well, you know, be a Christian in the midst of it, but that actually is a legitimate ministry, a legitimately a legitimate mission, and it is our job to equip, to pray, to send, to prepare, um, and 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 to work with you. Have you written more on that, or that that's sort of a new concept for me, or is it in writing anywhere that you've seen? Well, it's it. Uh, we've been building the case through things like "You Lost Me," uh, mm-hmm. where w- one of the reasons that young people leave the church is that they don't have any idea that the Bible applies to their career or field of interest. Well, that's right. Um, that is there. 
we yeah. did we did we did do um, a, a new project called uh, Making Space for Millennials, and so we talk about the five themes that we think are helping to. Uh, it's a new little report that our team has has developed, and we talk about the five themes that we think are helping to to generate a, a more lasting connection between millennials and local churches. And among those things is vocational discipleship. So it it is. Okay. It it is something we we've been um, uh, thematically building a case for, based on what we think the research is showing us, um, and and yet we we also hope to do some more stuff in the future on okay, it. Okay, we'll put the links to those two resources. You lost me into that study in the show notes, so that uh, Great, people will have that. Um, now, is church attendance a dying concept? Um, 69% of Americans have, interestingly enough, according to your research, a favorable opinion of the church, but nearly half see no value in attending. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Say more. Well, it, it, it is, um, it, it, it is certainly going out of favor and, but I think it's one of these things that we need to fight for, um, uh, one of the the projects that we did with a uh, church planter in New York City called Sacred Roots uh, was was a, a one of our frame series of sort of mini books and um, <clears throat> and the notion of of encouraging people to plant sacred roots um, is I think a very important concept and 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 again I think uh, to use a phrase uh, that that I think came from Lincoln uh, you know the better angels of our church leader nature when people see that we are simply fighting for church attendance because we want you to be a part of our church. You know, mm-hmm. there is a certain, we have to admit that it, there is a certain degree to which we, we as church leaders receive salary status and, and staff based on the number of people who, who respond to our teaching. And that's, mm-hmm. there's a good side of that. And there's a, there's a shadow side yep. to this. Yep. And so, it, it, and it just, there's these tensions in ministry. That's just one of them. And so when we, as church leaders, are uh, allowing our communication gifts to be hijacked in some fashion to the, to to where we think, and I've been in churches that 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 do this, where it's like we really are so compelled to get you here, and and so church attendance really becomes choose us, choose, pick me, pick me, pick me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an idol. Yeah, it, it is, and and I think millennials see that because they see that we're competing against. We're trying to have a you know we're be, trying to be better than First Baptist or you know yeah. you know First United Methodist or whatever, and so to the, to that extent, I think um, millennials and people in our culture are saying we don't we're not interested in just sort of voting with our feet and and you know playing the same sort of games that church leaders are playing around just come to church to hear because then you'll be then you'll be subjected to these wonderful sermons and your life will be changed we, they just don't see it um, and at the same time I think there's this sort of deeper reality which is that to be a part of a community to, to understand your vocation as the thing we've been talking about through the lens of Christian community to understand prayer to understand um, you know seeing one of your dear friends lose their daughter uh, to cancer um, and going through that together to experience some of the highs that come with being in Christian community to um, to, to give together and and, and serve in, sh- in a shared way to be led in that through a gifted communicator and it's this whole different sort of way of thinking and again I know a lot of church leaders get into it for this reason um, um, and I mean I, I struggled with this as a as a as a as a researcher, you know, am I, am I doing the research just to sell books mm-hmm. or to try to be a conference speaker? You know, one of my deepest fears is that we do this research and the more I do the research and the more I go out and speak on a subject that I think is right. But, it, you know, it's like, at what point, if, if the research starts to diverge from my own opinion about that, would I be willing to say, uh, wait, I've been wrong. I need to get over here with what the research is showing because this is what God has called me to do is to be truthful, even if it even if it doesn't match your opinion as right. a listener or my opinion as the teller. And we see this in Scripture mm-hmm. so often, right? Where where God speaks to His prophets uh, and to His 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 spokespeople and says, "No, no, 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 that's not the message." You know, like mm-hmm. you you got to get back on script here. And so I feel like there's a lot of instances when we talk about church attendance. Of course, it is it is more important than ever. People are lonelier. Uh, they're more in need of relational connection. They're more in need of deeper perspective about life. Mm-hmm. Some of this can only be found through being a part of a local church. But if we make it like just be here on Sunday because you don't want to miss, you know, the yeah. the great sermon. 
then you know it, they, they just see through uh, the, that charade. Now it doesn't mean we shouldn't have great sermons, but mm-hmm. we just be very careful not to fall into the into the trap of. Uh, you know, marketing for attendance sake, because we, we, we get what we market for. Yeah. Is it what you want from people or what you want for people, right? Do you just want them to be there? Do you want, you know, they jack up your statistics or are you really for them? Do you want them to have a deep commitment to Christ? Do you want them to be growing in their faith? Even if that means they're there, not every Sunday, even if that means you're going to have to get innovative. And I really appreciate the motive check. I think that's something every single leader needs to do, David. And I think that's something everybody needs to do. You know, if you're in medicine, you mentioned medicine, am I there because it's a great career or do I really want to help patients? Do I, do I really, you know, that, that is just, I think that's a a gut check that every human has to go through. Well, time's uh, moving quickly as it always does when we have these conversations, David. Um, I want to ask, uh, let's bounce down to this idea. Um, What are some keys uh, that you see to um, reaching people in a post-Christian age? We've covered a few, but just in summary form, what are some churches going to have to do? What are all of us going to have to do um, to really embrace this this reality that's actually emerging very, very quickly? If you do this research again in two years, the numbers will be different, right? Probably not in favor of what we knew a decade ago. They'll be moving in the other direction. Well, I, I think uh, there's so many things, but to hit on a couple of them, one is to recognize um, that influence is small, that, that we can't, you know, sort of change everything. So we do have to be very, very committed to the things we can change um, as leaders. I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but it's it's one of these things the Lord keeps bringing me back to, which is, you know, don't don't trade your own children for your ideas you know, your pipe dreams of influencing other people's children. Um, you know, my kids are 15, 13 and 10. And, you know, my wife and I not, we don't do this perfectly, but it's like, I got two years left before my oldest goes off to university. No kidding. And, and, you know, it's like, there's just, there's no ministry conference, no opportunity that is bigger than me taking our walks with, you know, Emily and I, and just being, being there as her dad. Um, so, you know, realizing, and I think uh, there's just so many reasons for us as church leaders to get really um, fired up and motivated to try to change our culture. There's a lot of things that are really challenging and huge opportunities for the gospel. But if we don't bring the gospel into our own families, it's going to be uh, in some fashion all for naught. Mm. Uh, you know, Jesus says, what what uh, what profit is it if a if a man gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Mm. And so I think we have to be very careful and and so to that point, we're, we're actually working on a project uh, around um, spiritual leadership in our age. We're looking at, so, at the souls of today's pastors. Do they, in fact, themselves turn to prayer? And do they mm-hmm. themselves turn to spiritual counsel? Do they have a peer accountability group? Do they themselves use the very same spiritual means of change that, that they recommend to people? Um, and, and so I say this because... At the very time when our culture, when you so you ask, you know, what do we do? Um, mm-hmm. And and what I'd say is, listen, there's nothing we can really do in some fashion about all the world out here. I do think we need to get smarter. I do think we need to understand sort of the trend beneath the trend, or at least the story beneath that. Um, we need to be very comfortable in the language of statistics and research and social trends. Um, there are trends and counter trends, and those are all very, very critical for us to use a spiritual imagination to influence that. And at its core, it's going to come down to who we are as people mm-hmm. um, and whether the Lord is working in our lives. Um, you know, there's there's just no formula for it. So if God is faithful through us, then I think uh, we have to be, as the scriptures say, sort of a willing vessel for that to happen. And that's just that's just my own story. I would tell you, it's just harder than, than we can let on, right? Like it, it turns out it's just the more success you have, the, the, the more cranky and prideful and f- formula driven you get, um, I get. True. And so we just got to be so careful about tending our own souls I think in this era, as the world is becoming more and more uh, kind of gospel resistant. Well, I think that's a really good point, you know, because you can look for tips and tricks and they're out there. You can discover it. And, you know, it's probably not just going to be the next great series. It's probably not going to be the next location. It's probably not just going to be, it's going to be deeper than that. And again, if it's not healthy at the top, it will not be healthy at the bottom. And I think maybe sort of the underbelly of this is the church hasn't always been healthy 
in the last generation. And that starts with leaders. You know, it starts with me. Where I serve, um, I can't expect my people to love Jesus more than I love him. And yeah. um, I'm sure some do. It's not that I'm the most spiritually mature person on the planet by any stretch, but you know, to the degree that my devotion to Christ is deep and real, and to the extent that my integrity gets deepened every year, I think our church has a better chance of influence, and I think our people, um, consequently or or in some you know connected way, um, become healthier. And when their light shines brighter, it shines further into the darkness. And and I, th- I think that's a good place to leave it. You know, sometimes it's not just here are five things you can do and this will all turn around tomorrow. Yeah. It's like, go look in the mirror, get on your knees, um, get into a group. And I'll, I'll look forward to more of that research, David. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate this. I know people are going to want to learn a lot more. Um, we will link to things in the show notes, but what are a couple of really quick um, links that people can follow up on? Uh, well, we're super excited about the church list study, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, Carrie. You know, there's a, there's a lot of just great statistics and perspective about a secular generation uh, and and today's you know ministry environment. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff at barna.org/churchless on that okay. project. Uh, and then we also mentioned um, uh, the the millennials in space uh, study, millennials in architecture. Lots of really practical stuff right. about the kinds of auditorium. it's not millennials like going to Mars. It's like millennials <laughs> in space. Yeah, you can imagine the space the space helmets on. That'd be pretty cool. Sounds like a Donald Miller book. But we kept talking about uh, the the pigs in space, Muppets in space, sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> when we were working on that one. Um, uh, so it's a uh, millennials, it's making space. So barna.org slash making space, uh, okay. is another place. Um, we're, we're launching some stuff on different regional trends. Uh, so cities.barna.org. Uh, but that's all, you can find all that stuff at our website at barna.org. And I mean, thanks for the chance to, to talk about those things. You know, it's, it's our heart to try to link up with other leaders through these resources to give you some of that intelligence, to give you maybe a little bit deeper, more, um, you know, uh, socially crafted story, you know, more, more clear as to the zeitgeist of what God's doing in our times and, and how it is that we can be a part of that. Well, and that's what I really appreciate about, about the work you do is I think a lot of us pick up on this stuff anecdotally and instinctively, but often when you just look at the research, it's like, ah, oh, that's what's going on. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes. David, you're so generous with your time again today. Thank you so much. Gary, it's my pleasure, man. I love you so much. I appreciate you. And uh, it's, it's, it's great to be friends across these many miles. Absolutely. Thanks so much, David. Appreciate it. All the best. Well, some super great stuff from David there, isn't it? And I've got all of the links, everything he talked about, including some of the studies available for you. You can just head on over to the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 24. You're going to find them there. You'll also find some of the articles I've been writing recently about this whole issue of declining church attendance and what church leaders can do about it, as well as a link back to episode 23 with Will Mancini last week, where we talked, uh, you know, in different ways about the same thing. So uh, I hope this has really helped you and your team lead a little bit better. And you might be walking away going, well, there aren't like super tangible takeaways. There there are some, but I know they're not going to like solve the problem overnight. I get that. I get that. But I find at a time like this, it's just so important to have the right voices around the table to be processing it. And this is a conversation I keep having with church leaders of large churches, small churches, mega churches, mainline churches, evangelical churches. Everybody sees it. We're all trying to figure out what to do about it. And that's why I get so excited about conversations like this is I think in some way uh, they help us all make progress. So I hope that's true of you. I would love to hear more from you. If you go to the show notes and just leave a comment, that would be uh, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 24. You can leave a comment that way or jump in on some of the other articles that we've linked to that I've written on this. And um, if you really enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe. You can do it absolutely for free and you get a new episode in your inbox every or on your phone or wherever, not your inbox, I guess, but you get it every Tuesday. And so uh, I would love to have you do that. And thanks to everybody who keeps leaving awesome reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Thank you. And I want to thank the Orange Conference, who uh, makes this podcast possible. And do you know, if you really love this senior leadership stuff like I do, that we've got what I think is an incredible track for you put together, the senior leader track at Orange Conference. If you haven't registered yet, please do so. Just go to theorangeconference.com slash senior leader. 
Because in those three days in Atlanta, April 29th, 30th, and May the 1st, you're going to hear from people like Donald Miller, John Acuff, Reggie Joyner, Doug Fields, uh, Judd Wilhite, Perry Noble, Jeff Henderson, Josh Gagnon, Jenny Katrin, who's going to be up on the podcast very, very soon, and a lot of others. So, I mean, it's going to be an incredible time together. I love getting connected, and I'll be able to hang out with you, which would be a lot of fun. You can do it for a fraction of the price of like bringing any of those people into your church, and you can just do that by registering at theorangeconference.com senior leader. So you want to make sure you do that before it's too late. That's happening at the end of April. And next week on the podcast, you're going to hear from the aforementioned Jenny Catron. Jenny is an incredible leader. She served as executive pastor at Cross Point Church with Pete Wilson in Nashville. As they grew from like a church plant to 5,000 people, she's going to give us the blow by blow. And then about a year and a bit ago, she went over to California. Now she's an executive pastor with John Ortberg at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, helping them navigate a lot of change as well. And Jenny is going to talk to us about a not talked about nearly enough subject of the changes you need to make to help your church grow. And I mean, she's just brilliant at it. I I can't wait for you to hear that. That's episode 25. Best way not to miss it is to subscribe for free if you haven't done that yet. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Really, really appreciate you. I hope this has helped you lead like never before. And we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.